Lord, I thank you for just letting us come in this room this morning. Just sing me our praises to you. Pray that as Chris comes to speak to us this morning, God, you just give him the words to say and that we would be very receptive to that, God. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Ben, would you give Will and the band, Emily, a hand for a great job? That is the third time they've done it, the second time I've heard it, and you guys just got stronger and better every time. It was great the first time I heard it. Well, good morning. We welcome you, those who are watching online, listening online. Thank you so much for joining us today, and it is good to see warm bodies back in the worship center this morning. Storms. Boy, it's been stormy in America, hasn't it? Mid-March, the COVID-19 hit us, boom, and our lives changed dramatically overnight. You've been alert to the news at all the last month. You saw the horrible, you saw, I mean, it was just before us, the horrible murder of Aubrey Ahmad and George Floyd. Our country's in turmoil, and now a stinking tropical storm is headed towards our state. Couldn't that have waited a month or two? Wouldn't that have been nice and Christian of that to have done that? But storms don't come on our terms or how we determine they come, do they? They, they come and they come at unexpected and harsh times. We're in 1 Peter 5 if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be on the screens. But I want to begin with this kind of, of a common ground and certainly something I think you're going to agree with. You, you will experience storms in life. You're going to. You're going to experience storms. You're going to experience hard times. You're going to experience disappointing times and difficult times. In verse 7, 1 Peter 5, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I hope you, you listen with a pen and a paper in your hand because I think that's a good way of remembering what we go over. And it's also God speaks to us. Sometimes you Things you'll write down that God will share with your heart may not even be directly from the sermon. But the word anxiety here is a significant word. It means cares, but it means much more than cares. It means worries. It, it means distractions. Listen to this. It means a disruption, a disruption of your mind and personality. Have you ever noticed when you're really worried and anxious, people will even ask you, what's wrong with you? You're not acting yourself because cares and distractions and anxieties they disrupt our personalities. They disrupt our minds. They disrupt our world. I know your world may be difficult right now. America, our world is difficult right now. 2,000 years ago, things were very difficult. God used Peter to write this letter. This was probably about A.D. 63 or 64, to give you some context. Jesus had been dead and had arisen from the grave about... 30 years before this, so that's kind of the context. Nero is the emperor, the king of Rome. And the emperor and the king have complete and total authority. He's a pervert. He's a wicked man. He's an evil man. And he is pressing down on the Christians. In fact, in the near future, Paul and Peter will be killed at the hands of Nero. So this is, this is what's going on. And Christians, some scholars believe the major persecution hadn't started, but Christians are still being persecuted. They're being persecuted because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Man, I hope that doesn't happen in our country someday, but I fear that it could. 
They were being persecuted because they followed Jesus Christ. They were beginning to suffer. They were beginning to be killed for it. They were beginning to be separated from their families and lose their jobs and their opportunities. That, that the storms and pressures of life were pressing hard on them when, when this was written about anxieties and disruptions in life. And I know this morning, yes, the, the problems in the world are pressing on many of us, but some of you got problems that are more personal. Your marriage is in trouble. Your kids are in trouble. Your parents are causing you grief. You lost your job. You could in the days ahead with the way things are. Your money is scary right now. Your health, you have health problems. You have storms and things pressing upon you. And you just don't know, what am I going to do? And it doesn't seem like it gets better, does it? Just go watch the news for 30 minutes and you'll be really discouraged every day. think we need to be informed, but man, it's, it's got to be where it's almost a beating. This came out in early May. This was before all the recent troubles in our country NPR, National Public Radio, this, I, I read these stats that they had listed. They cited two different studies, so I think it's pretty legit. They said if there's not some things done in our country to help alleviate some of the economic and financial and personal sufferings, this is before all the uprising and the troubles that we've seen recently. This is just talking about the COVID stuff. They estimate another 75,000 people above what died last year from drug abuse, alcohol overdose, and suicides will happen. 75,000 people died. Wow. More. That's intense. On a lighter note, someone said that they felt like with all the problems they had, they were wrestling an octopus. You know what an octopus is? Nobody's laughed at this in the other two sermons. To me, this is funny. An octopus has like eight arms. You could whip an octopus with two arms, but you're not going to whip one with eight. Somebody say amen. I mean, it's going to be wrapping around your legs, your head, your ears. You're gonna, and one's going to be coming down your throat. It's going to be terrible. And sometimes that's how our problems feel. I mean, you get one pin down and another wraps around your throat. You get another pin down and it wraps around your stomach. And I want to encourage you to laugh this morning. Laughing's good for you. It's good for the preacher too, by the way, when you laugh. So what do we do? Here's the first thing he tells us, and it's so beautiful. Cast your cares on God. Cast your cares on God. In verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him. Now, folks, let me tell you this morning, everything we're fixing to see, you have got to act. Whining, griping, complaining, and blaming is not a way to help yourself with your problems. We have to act. Casting is a verb. It means to throw. It means to, to put off. It's, it's like my friend Steve Lee who's a great fisherman, casting that lure out there to catch that fish. It's, throw, it's that softball player, that baseball player, throwing that softball, that baseball, the quarterback, throwing the ball. It's, it, you're taking your problems, and you are throwing them to somebody. He says, cast all. The word all literally means all. Every, the total, the sum total, all your problems, all your anxieties on. And even that little word on in this passage is significant. It means to pass it to him, to distribute to him, cast it to him, deposit to him. Many of you, probably all of you understand what it is to deposit something at the bank. Some of you, like Norman, are big-time players, and you're depositing 500000 a week. Cindy and I try to deposit at least $25 a week in the bank. And when you deposit that money, do you trust your bank? Raise your hand. 
No, I don't trust him. I just put all my money there. You're a moron. You need help. Amen? Somebody say amen. I don't trust my bank. I just put my money there. You need help. Brandon will help you after church. You trust your bank. And you don't, you don't deposit your money and then 10 minutes later go back and get it, do you? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen to it. But see, that's what we do with our problems. That's what I do with them. I cast them to God. Then I want them back. I want to tell you a secret. Here's a secret. Cast them to God 50 times a day if you have to. Throw them to God this morning, this afternoon, this evening if you have to. God says, deposit your cares with me. I memorized this verse years ago, and I had a preacher explain to me. He said, Chris, this is what you ought to do. He said, you figuratively now, he said, reach into your head and grab that problem, grab that person, grab that situation, and throw it to God. And invite God, say, God, stick your big hand, your big hand down in my head and take these problems from me. Take them from me. God, take these problems from me. And picture God reaching down and, and gently removing those problems. And let God hold them. Look, God's got the shoulders to carry your problem. You don't. You may think you do, but you don't. And then let God's peace and his presence fill your mind and heart. That's what he's telling us to do. Look at the end of verse 7. Casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. That word care there means he is interested in you, concerned. Listen, it is care with, with a providential forethought. In other words, listen, God cares about you. God knows your problems. And God can help you with your problems. I love this. God is a specialist. You ever been to a specialist? Somebody that can do certain things that other people can't? God's a specialist. There's no problem that you can cast to God that he can't handle. You're not going to throw something to God. He's going to go, wow, you are really weird. I've never seen. God's never going to say, I've never seen that before. Wouldn't you love to go to a doctor and hear that? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? God's a specialist. Not only a specialist, God can handle it. Listen, we've got good ministers, good counselor here at this church. We can't handle everything you can bring to us. God can. God can. And God cares. God cares. G.K. Chesterton was a great Christian thinker in another generation. He said this. This is, this is interesting. He goes, the hardest thing in Christianity for me is to grasp that God cares for me. So I, I, can, I can believe God created the world. I can believe Jesus died and rose, but when I realize God holds everything in his hand and that yet God knows you and me by name and that everything that concerns us concerns God, he goes, that is overwhelming for me to get a hold of. But he does. What's the first thing you do with your cares? Man, you cast them on God and you keep casting them on God. That's your part. You got Your part's to throw them to God and God's part is to take care of them. But here's another thing that this week... In my life, I found so interesting in the context of this. With your storms, be very aware of your enemy. Be very aware of your enemy. Listen, storms are a part of life. God allows storms to test us, to strengthen us. But you and I have a very real enemy. Sometimes the storms come from him. Sometimes they may not come directly for him, but he piles on in the middle of the storms. And don't doubt me on this. Look in verse 8, or don't doubt God. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Folks, your, your enemy is ultimately Satan. There's two thoughts 
extremes when it comes to the devil. One is a, the, the liberal preacher or the liberal theologian who would say, oh, the devil is not real. That's just figurative for, for evil and wrong and whatever. Listen, the devil would love for you to think he's not real. He will, he will be able to ruin your life effectively if you don't think he's real. The other is the, the person who credits everything to the devil. Ingrown toenail, devil. Burn my French fries at McDonald's, devil. Now, that could be true. The truth, is, the truth is this, the devil is real. He's called our adversary. If you're taking notes, that means he's your opponent. It's an opponent, like an opponent in a lawsuit, someone who is, who is wanting to sue you and ruin you and rub your face in it. He's your adversary. The word devil, it's such a lovely word. It means false accuser. It means slanderer. Slander is verbal murder. Some of you would never hit anybody because you know you get beat up. You shouldn't hit anybody anyway, but you'll slander them. You destroy them with your tongue, your mouth. Devil's a slanderer. Jesus said in John 8, the devil's a liar. He's the father of all lies, and he's a murderer. That's our enemy. That's a pretty bad dude. Would you agree? I think he's a terrible dude. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to consume. We have a picture of a roaring lion, and it's intimidating. That is Probably got bad breath on top of that, too. Can you imagine? Wow. 130 times the word lion is found in the Bible. In fact, Jesus is called the lion of Judah because a lion is a noble and courageous and fearless animal. Satan's called a roaring lion because lions are ferocious. Now, think about this context, too. 2,000 years ago, this may have been going on. It did go on. It may have been going on at this time. Nero would take Christians, and he would put them in the Colosseum, the floor of the Colosseum of people up there. Let's say they had 20 Christians, put them in there. Then they would release wild lions in there. You didn't have your 30 all six. You weren't your stand. I got one. No, you're down on the floor with nothing. You're going to be lunch, supper, brunch, whatever, whatever time of day, lupper, whatever. It's not going to end well for you. And they would have understood, man, this, this enemy of ours is horrible. Does every storm, is it an attack of Satan? I don't, I don't know that, but I know this. Every storm that happens in your life, Satan's going to pile on. If he didn't initiate it, you can bet that the persecution of Christians by Nero was, was instituted by Satan. Here's what Satan wants to do to you. And while you're so vulnerable during storms, because you're weak and you let your guard down, and, and your emotions are raw, he wants to ruin your marriage. He wants you to marry the wrong person. He wants to keep you from coming to Christ if you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, his goal, he's lost you eternally, but he wants to ruin you and destroy you and ruin your witness and ruin your name. And Satan's ultimate home run is when somebody kills themselves, suicide. Listen, we've got an enemy. Don't believe me, just believe your Bible. Satan is real. And it, it ties in here with our storms of life because again I think he is so good at coming in when we're vulnerable and really choking us out be aware of that now here's what God says God tells us this handle your enemies his way handle your enemies God's way this enemy this adversary how you and I handle Satan's important 
If he is real and he is real, and if he's out to destroy you and he is, and you're more vulnerable from him in storms than you are at any other time, you got to handle him right God's way. Here, he lists three things. One, control yourself. Control yourself. In verse 8, be sober-minded. Someone who's drank too much is not clearly focused. Drunk people think they are better looking than they are. Drunk people think they are tougher than they are. I can't tell you how many friends of mine got beat up because they were bulletproof when they got too much Budweiser in them. It makes you think you're smarter than you are, but you're not. When you're drunk, you lose control. And God says, look, when the devil is trying to destroy you, when the storms are pouring down on you, you've got to be on your A game. You've got to be in control. Control your tongue. Control your temper. Control your fingers. Correct? Don't tweet, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, something that's going to pop out there and never be able to come back again. Control yourself. Don't look at the pornography when it's popping in your head late at night. When that guy or girl texts you or calls you that you're not supposed to be involved with, married person, don't respond. Control yourself. Satan's going to attack you. God expects you and I to be aware of the enemy. Let him carry our battles, but control yourself. Man, that's so important. Roy Horn was a part of the famous Siegfried and Roy in Las Vegas for years. They, they had this act with white tigers. And they had done this for years. October 2003, that's Roy. He was... He was doing what he had done hundreds of times before, and he slipped in front of one of the tigers. He was with these tigers all the time. The tiger was startled and mauled him. I mean, he, he lived, but I mean, he was almost killed right there in front of everybody. And, and I don't know if it was a careless mistake, an accident, or whatever, but one slip, one loss of control almost cost him his life. Listen, you're weak. When you're tired, you're anxious, you're beat down. Satan knows that. Man, be sure to control yourself. Here's the next thing he says. Be spiritually and mentally alert. Be spiritually and mentally alert. In verse 8, be sober-minded and watchful. I've heard a lot of weird things on this watchful. Jesus told the disciples, pray and watch. What that means is it just means to be spiritually alert. It means to be aware. Be aware that, that you're, of your vulnerabilities. Be aware of when you're alone. Be aware when your spouse has gone to bed and you're still up of things you can lean, fall into that can get you in trouble. Be aware, again, of being in situations with certain people that can ruin your life. Be aware of those things. Be aware of your weaknesses. He says, Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I've used this illustration a number of times, but it's always so good. What if Bill Davis, our security guy, ran in at the end of the service and said, there's a roaring lion in the parking lot. Be careful. Here's what I'm doing. Cindy, I can't walk well. Would you go get the car? Just pull it right up here and I'll jump in. Now, really what we would do is we'd get my teenage granddaughter, Riley, to go get the car because... Most teenagers I know text, and she would never see the line. It would be on her back in the car, and she would be fine. No, here's what we would do. Sorry, Riley. Here's what we would do. We wouldn't leave the building, correct? 
We got water in the baptistry you can bathe. We got food in the kitchen. People sleep in here every Sunday morning so you could sleep tonight comfortably. And we'd all be good. I'm not leaving until Jesus comes back or that line is secured. Amen. You would be really small-brained. There's a line in the parking lot. Let's go. You, yeah. But Jesus says, Satan is like a roaring lion. Be watchful. Know your vulnerabilities. You are more vulnerable when you're tired, depressed, anxious, and beaten down. Be watchful. And then he says, resist the devil. Resist him. Verse 9. Resist him firm in your faith. Strong in your walk with Christ. Stand, resist means to stand against. I had a guy explain this years ago. He said that the difference in an assault, and, and you know this, and resisting, an, an assault is aggressive. When, when I assault you or you assault me, you are coming at me. You're attacking me. To resist is not aggressive. It's just you're holding your ground. You're standing your ground. You're, you're not going to be moved. You're not going to be pulled off center. He doesn't tell you to attack Satan. There was a Christian radio guy years ago. He would start his program, and he would say, we've drawn the battle lines. We're calling Satan out. We want to bring it on. We're going to fight him. And I was just a young Christian, and I thought, you are a moron. I mean, you, Satan is not God. He's a, cre he's a creature just like you and me, but he's an angel, a fallen angel. And by the way, an angel will whip you every time, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. You don't want to fight the devil. You're not called to fight the devil. You are called to resist the devil, to resist those urges to make that call, to go see that person, to get involved with that thing, to take that drink, to take that drug. You resist it. You're weak. You're vulnerable. Stand strong. Resist is what God says. You don't fight the devil. You resist the devil is what he tells us to do. Malcolm Collins was a missionary in Africa for years. Now, I'm just telling you what he said. He said, if you're out in the bush, you don't have a gun, and a lion starts stalking you, don't run. You'll get caught. And you will be, again, lunch or supper for the lion. Going to run you down, bite you on the base of your spine, and it's over. Here's what he said you do. You, you face the lion. You look it in the eye. I've heard this about mountain lions in America. If the lion starts circling you, you don't run after it. You just keep, you, you just, you keep looking at it. He comes back over here, you keep looking at it. He said, a lot of times, if you stand your ground, the lion will leave. So what God's telling you to do with Satan? Resist him. Don't go after him. Don't go looking for the fight. But when he comes at you, and he will, you resist him. See, God says, here's what I want you to do. You've got storms in your life. Cast them on me. Let me carry them. Know you have a real enemy who's either bringing some of these storms or is piling on. Understand that. Know who he is. Face him and handle him properly. And then God says this, I will get you through those storms victoriously. I will get you through the storms victoriously. And man, verse 10 is a great verse it's just packed with stuff. After you have suffered a little while, after you have faced pain and afflictions, the God of all grace, the God of all-encompassing, total grace, grace is, is unearned or undeserved favor. God, is, God just oozes out grace. God oozes out undeserved, unearned favor. 
The God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you. That, the, these words here, fantastic, restore is to mend a fishing net. Peter was a fisherman. The way they fished, they'd cast the nets out. If you got a hole in the net, you got a problem, friend. And you got to mend the net. He said, Jesus mends the nets. But it's also of a doctor setting a bone, a broken bone. Getting a bone set hurts, it's painful, but it's necessary. He said, listen, what you, you endure these, stones, these storms properly. Man, God, God's going God's to remake you, and he's going to set you right. Then he uses the word confirm. The word confirm means to fix and make you stable. Then he uses the word strengthen. God will make you strong again emotionally and spiritually. Then he says, I will establish you. Establish means to lay the foundation, to make you stable. Guys, listen to what God's saying. Satan and the storms will break you. They will mess you up. They will turn you upside down. You stay with God, and God will remake you, reset you, reestablish you, and set you in place. You will come out of the storm stronger than you went into the storm. You'll come out of the storm better than you were before the storm. If you and I do it. God's way. Wow. See, God always comes to us, embraces us, and says, now it's your choice what you're going to do with it. Man, let's do the storms God's way. Let's do the storms God's way. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but not just a prayer of uh, a dismissal or anything like that. I'm going to pray. If you're a Christian, I want you to join me. And praying to, to cast your cares on God and recommit your life to Him. And if you're not a Christian, I want to pray. And if you're ready, you pray with me to give your life to Jesus this morning. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, man, cast those burdens on God. Cast those cares on God. Just tell God, man, God, I want to give, re-give you my life. And I want to live under your wings and your care and your arms and your shadow. If you're not a Christian and you're ready today to cross that line with Jesus, pray with me. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sin. Jesus, I, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And Jesus, I surrender by faith my life to you.